Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. As we continue to preach through this wonderful book, the greatest book of the Bible, we're in the greatest chapter of the greatest book of the Bible, here in Romans chapter 8, and in verses 14 through 17 contains four proofs uh, of our being sons and daughters of God. So before we talk about that, I want to ask you, are you this morning a child of God? And remember what we said last week. Don't believe this lie that everybody is children of God because the Bible doesn't teach that. Don't believe the lie that God is the father of everyone because he's not. Are you truly a born-again believer and follower of Jesus Christ? And Paul here in Romans uh, 8, 14 through 17, he gave us four proofs of that. One is that we are led by God's Spirit. This refers to our conduct, how we conduct ourselves. If we are following after Christ in obedient discipleship, uh, then we do belong to Him. Obedience is the key there. Obedience is the identifying mark of a true believer of Jesus Christ. That you get into God's Word and you read God's Word and you study God's Word and you meditate on God's Word. But then you go and you close the book and you go live what you've just read. You obey God. The next one is that we have the internal witness of the spirit uh, of our spirits where we can cry, Paul says, Abba, Father, dear Father, that God is truly indeed my Father. He's not a Father. He's my Father. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it must have been a shock to them to, him to, to hear him say, when you pray, say, our Father. And it's interesting, too, that Jesus did not, did not instruct the disciples to pray, my Father. He instructed them to pray, our Father. But we have, uh, we, we can call God, Abba, Father, dear Father. The third thing is that the Spirit witnesses to us. We have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in our lives. And then the fourth thing that he says there in verse 17 is that we participate in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 17, he says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Now, these four reasons are good reasons why we can know that we truly belong to God. But why would Paul introduce the idea of suffering at this point? If we're trying to assure someone of their salvation and that it is secure, the last thing we would think about doing is say, well, are you suffering? But that should be one of the things because, you know, it's interesting that when we go out and we take the gospel to the world and we tell them, you're a sinner, you abide under the wrath of God, but God has sent his son in love. He sent his son that we might repent of our sins and receive Christ and receive eternal life through him. Oh, and by the way, if you follow him, 
you're going to live a life of suffering, hardship, and pain. But we don't tell them that part. We leave that part out. I can promise you, folks, <laughs> not one single disciple of Christ was living their best life now. They are now, but they were not then. Our best life is not now. And, and here Paul, you know, he, he was a realist. And Paul wanted us to understand, you know, Jesus, time after time, he says, if anyone desires to come after me and be my disciple, he said, you got to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Listen, picking up a cross is not an easy thing. It's not a light thing. Because a cross only had one purpose, and that was death. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, unless you are willing to die, you can't follow me. And so, but, but we don't like to think about that. But Paul was a realist. And, and these that Paul was talking to, uh, they were suffering believers here in Rome. You read the book of James. James was writing. He says, count it all joy when you suffer. Now, isn't that our natural reaction to suffering is joy? No, but it is when the Spirit of God lives in you. And, and few of us would think as uh, of presenting suffering as proof of our salvation. The early church began to suffer for the gospel as soon as they began to obey uh, the Great Commission. Peter and John were thrown in jail. Stephen was killed. Paul was in prison. Paul was eventually beheaded. As far as we know, every single one of the disciples, except for probably the Apostle John, died violent deaths. Because Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. These men, they were ridiculed, they were hated, they were abused, and they were eventually martyred. Killed for the faith. But you see, Paul says there in verse 17, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. One of the things that we inherit from Christ is the ridicule, is the hatred of the world. The world outside is not the church's friend. Did you know that? The world outside hates God. Now they try to do a good job of covering that up. But I want to tell you something, folks. If you know your Bible, you will know what a lie it is to say He gets us. If you've seen that commercial. But the second reason that Paul talks about suffering is because of the many non-Christian uh, approaches to suffering. One of those is, is anger. One response to suffering is anger. We want to cry out and say, why me? That's our favorite words. Why me? Why did this happen to me? Uh, we've all heard the expression, why do good things happen to, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? And I love R.C. Sproul's answer to that. He says that only happened once and he volunteered. Because there's only been one that was good and that was Christ. You and I need to understand. We have this idea that we shouldn't have to ever suffer for anything. That nothing bad should ever happen to us. When in reality, according to the Word of God and who we are outside of Christ, 
That's all we deserve is suffering. But anger is one of those. Uh, this is common among unbelievers, but it's also uh, common among those who are believers. We, we have a tragedy come into our life. We have suffering come into our life. And the first thing we say is, God, why are you doing this to me? We blame God for it. Not realizing we deserve nothing better. So anger is something that a believer should never, is never should be our response to suffering. I, I think about um, Peter and John when they were jailed, and they weren't just put in jail, they were beaten. And the religious leaders told them, said, now look, we're going to let you go after we beat you, but keep your mouth shut. Quit talking about this Jesus. Now they ignored him. But you know what it says that they did? It says they went away rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name. Let me ask you something, believer. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ this morning, do you count it joy to suffer for Christ? You count it all joy when you encounter uh, various trials and tribulations knowing there's a purpose in it. See, that's the thing we forget. There's a purpose in it. We'll get to that here in just a moment. Another way that we respond to suffering is avoidance. If the path ahead is undesirable, if the path ahead is hard, we turn away. We, we have a natural tendency to seek the easier route. The path of least resistance. But in the, in the Christian life, this won't work. But it's very encouraging to read what the psalmist says in Psalm 23, verse 4. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say, though I walk into it. He said, though I walk through it. Which means you go in and you come out. And this is an encouragement to us. So we should never respond. We need to understand that to be a follower of Christ is a life of suffering. It's a life of hardship. Because the world hates us. Because the world hates Him. And when we understand that, it makes suffering all the much more easier to endure. You know, I think about John Bunyan. He's one of my favorite Puritans. Of course, he wrote Puritans, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. But you know, John Bunyan was commanded, uh, well, at the time, it became illegal there in England to preach the gospel. And John Bunyan continued to preach the gospel, and they put him in prison. You know, they didn't even lock the door. They told him, they said, you can leave any time you want. All you have to do is stop preaching the gospel. And he stayed in that prison for almost 10 years because he says no. Every day his blind daughter would come and bring him food and bring him the necessities. He had a lot of children, but the point is that these, these, these men and women of the past, the disciples and, and, and all of those throughout the church history have learned that in order to follow Christ effectively, in order to be a true witness for Christ, it will involve suffering because the world hates God. It's just that simple. 
So we need to, uh, we should never respond to suffering with anger. We should never try to avoid and take the, the, the path of least resistance because it won't work. And by the way, let me tell you that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he will not let you take the path of least resistance. He will not allow it because he knows there's a purpose for it. He knows that, that, that to do this, what it leads to, and this is the pathway to glory. That's what suffering does. Uh, and, and this brings us to the value of suffering. According to the right theological framework, a Lord, a, a, According to the right worldview. What is your worldview? How do you view things in this world? Do you view these things from the world from the world's point of view? Or do you view things in this world from God's point of view? Because see, from the world's point of view, the only kind of people who suffer are bad people. And there are so many today who are standing in pulpits telling you, you can live your best life now. <coughs> Now, I, I love, again, I love Paul Washer's response to that. If you're living your best life now, that means you're going to hell when you die. It's just that simple. We need, to have, we need believers today who are willing to take a stand upon the Word of God. And I'll tell you, folks, in our culture, in our country, this is getting harder and harder every day. You don't believe me? Go down to the public square and stand up there and begin to speak out against same-sex marriage or against homosexual agenda or against abortion. I was totally surprised by something that happened recently. <clears throat> and I didn't understand at first what happened. And then I was listening to John MacArthur and he explained what happened and made a whole lot of sense. We just had an election. Now, it didn't go the way that everybody thought it was going to go. And a lot of people were saying, I don't understand what happened. And John MacArthur said, I can tell you in three words what happened. Roe v. Wade. He said, even among evangelical conservative Christians were upset that they had overturned the murder of unborn children. Does that not tell you where we are? So my, my point being this, we in this world, we will learn, we must learn that we will suffer and suffering has many important va uh, values for us. And the first is the chief reason that Paul mentions it here in Romans. He's been talking about being children of God and he says that suffering is proof of my relationship with God. Suffering may be in any one of three different forms, each with a particular purpose. And you, you may uh, endure any one of these three or all of these three. And one is persecution. One of the things we have seen over and over and over through century after century after century after century in our, in our study of church history is that from the very beginning, the church has been persecuted. The church has been, somebody has well said that the, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. <clears throat> All of the disciples, as I said, as far as we know, except John, died for their faith. You can go, through, go, go to Hebrews 11 when you get a chance and read what it says there. 
about all these. Some were sawn in two. But throughout history, we have seen time after time that the church has been persecuted. But you know, Jesus told us over in Matthew chapter 5, In Matthew 5, 11 and 12, he says, blessed are you. You know what? Let me back up a minute. If you go to chapter 5, that's the, uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Beatitudes. And, and I believe that verses 2 through 12 is the progression of a person from lost to truly following Christ. They start out poor in spirit, understanding that they are poverty, uh, that, that, that in our spirits we are totally without anything. Then we begin to mourn over our sin, and we're comforted. And meekly we come to Christ, and we begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, verse 6 says. And then verse 7 says we are merciful because we have received mercy. Then we are uh, become pure in heart. We become peacemakers. And then in verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Now, Jesus is speaking to us here. He says, Blessed are you when, they re when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, he says, for your reward is great in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets before you. So Jesus warned us. Jesus did. He, he warned us from the very beginning. You know, there's, a, there's an instance where Jesus is preaching and teaching and, and there are great crowds that are following him. And they love him. He fed them all. So everywhere he goes, this crowd is following him. And then Jesus one time begins to teach and he begins to say, if you want to follow me, you better deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You better be willing to suffer. You better be willing to die. And they all went away. That's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted their best life now. I don't mean to keep coming back to that, but it just kind of works. One value of persecution is that it proves that we really are children of God because this world hates Christ and therefore it hates us. And then there is purification. Some suffering is from God for no other reason than to produce godliness and holiness in my life. Listen, do you want to be godly? Let me ask you a question. Do you, as a follower of Christ, desire to be holy and godly? Well, Paul tells us that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And God sometimes sends things into our life, and instead of saying, why me? We should stand back and say, God, you are God. And I'm yours. Listen, believer, did you know that there is not one single thing that will ever, ever touch your life unless God says so? 
Not one hair of my head will ever be touched without the permission of God. Now think of Job. Here's Job going about his business. He loves the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. He, he was so concerned about the salvation of his family that every day he would make sacrifices just in case they had done something. And then one day, Job, who was probably one of the wealthiest men that has ever lived on the face of this earth, lost everything in an instant. He lost all of his children. In an instant, all at once, they were dead. Job lost all of his friends. Now, I know there's three or four friends that, come, that they say they comfort him, but I want to tell you, we don't need that kind of comfort <laughs> if you've read the book of Job. You know what happened? One day, the angels come before God and Satan's there. God asked Satan, said, where you been? He said, well, I've been walking around on the earth and looking about to and fro. Okay, now don't miss this. Then God took and painted a target on Job's back and said, have you considered my servant Job? He loves me. Satan said, ah, he just loves you because of everything you give him. Take that away from him. He'll curse you. He said, well, fine, go take it away from him. Now here's Job, poor Job down here. No clue. And in one day, all of that's gone. So Satan comes back. And God basically says, see, I told you so. Uh, it's because you give him health. And he says, you can go touch his body, but you can't kill him. Now, don't miss the fact here that Satan couldn't do anything until God told him he could. You know why? Because Job belonged to God. So Satan comes and he, Job gets these, 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 terrible boils and sores all over his body. He was miserable. He was just, he wanted, there's even a point in the book where he says, curse the day that I was born. And all of that happened simply because God wanted to prove his sovereignty. Job hadn't done a thing. As a matter of fact, throughout the whole thing, Job never even knew what was going on. And to be honest with you, I don't know until he died and went to heaven that he ever knew what was going on. All he knows is one minute he lost everything he had. The next minute his health was gone. He's got these friends around him that are telling him that the reason this is happening to him is because he has made God mad. Or because he has sinned against God. Was any of that true? No. And the next minute, Job's receiving back tenfold what he lost. And I wonder if he's sitting there saying, what in the world? <laughs> God, I don't know what's going on here. But, but you see, my point is this, that sometimes the purification we, God has determined, as we will see here in the in later part of chapter 8, that we be conformed to the image of his Son. And suffering is one of the ways that God does this. Jesus, it says, the writer to the Hebrews says that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Do you want to learn obedience? Do you want to, to, to know 
what it means to be godly and holy in your life, then you need to expect suffering. So if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus and you go to God and say, make me godly, make me holy, suffering is right around the corner, folks. And this is not just for individuals. This is for churches as well. If we pray and say, God, make us a holy church, make us a church that that glorifies you. Suffering will come because that's how it happens. God purifies us until he can see Christ in us. That's where the joy comes from. That's why I can joy, have extreme joy in my life and say, you know what? Now, now, folks, don't misunderstand me. Nobody in their right mind enjoys trouble or suffering. But when it comes to me as a believer, I have the ability through the word of God to see the end result, which is me being conformed to the image of Christ. And if you don't want that, then you need to be saved. Because if you are saved, you will want that. It's for training, too. Sometimes suffering is for training like a soldier being trained for combat. Now, I never have, but I'm sure some of you, any of you men here ever been through basic training in the military? No? None here? You have you? Was it fun? No? <laughs> I remember uh, <clears throat> a guy telling me one time he went off to uh, Fort Story, Missouri to basic training for the Army. And <clears throat> I was talking to him later after he graduated and got out. And he said there was a guy there from New York. He said, big burly guy. He said about the second week there, he was on his knees begging for his mama and begging to be sent home. But you know, I will promise you there's not one soldier that has ever stepped foot in a foxhole in the middle of a battle that said, man, I wish I hadn't had to go through that basic training because that's what it prepared them for. And you and I are in a battle. Did you know that? We, we are, there is a spiritual war going on. And whether you want to be involved in that or not, you are, if you're a believer in Christ. And so we need training, and sometimes suffering comes, and suffering does this. <clears throat> and if we endure any or all three of these, let us encourage us. Let it encourage us that I belong to God. It's God saying, you're mine, and I will conform you to the image of my son and this is what it takes to go through it but the path to this the final thing that we need to say about the value of suffering is that is it is the ordained path to glory you see someday we're going to stand in the presence of christ and we're going to look upon the face of our father and you know what we're going to say Thank you. Thank you. And you know, all the suffering we have to endure here in this world, <clears throat> and don't get me wrong, sometimes the suffering and the persecution is not blatant. It can be very subtle. So don't think that because somebody's not trying to kill you that you're not suffering. Satan attacks the mind. Satan attacks the body. 
but the end result will be glory. And that's what Paul says in verse 17, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is, this is meant to be an encouragement to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, again, talking about suffering, in verse 17 and 18, he says, For this light, momentary affliction. Now stop right there. Paul has already been arrested and beaten. And he's under house arrest and he says, but you know what? This is a light momentary affliction. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, they're eternal. Now, Paul, you know, you, you can read in the book of Acts and in the book of Corinthians. Paul tells about what he endured. He endured shipwreck. You know, many times, one time he was stoned and left for dead. One time they were after him and they had to let him down the side of a wall in a basket in the dark of night. Paul was not living his best life then. <laughs> but Paul says, I'm convinced that this is nothing compared to what's coming. And you know, we're going to find this out, you know, if you, if you go on to verse 18. <clears throat> Paul says the same thing. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be, will be revealed in us. See, Paul here is, is talking to children of God. He's not talking to the world. God has ordained that suffering is our path to glory. And there are two basic things for us to remember about suffering. Number one, suffering is necessary. Jesus in John 15, 20 says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. He said, a servant's not better than his master. He said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. But the thing is, we, need, we see that suffering is necessary. And second, although suffering is necessary and has value, suffering is not the end of the story. <clears throat> Glory is. Folks, I promise you, the day will come when I don't care what you have suffered on this earth, I don't care what physical ailments you've had, what mental ailments you've had, what outside forces have done to you, the day will come when they will all be completely wiped from your mind because they won't matter anymore. Because you will be standing in the presence of God, sharing the glory of Christ. And we won't remember. The only believer who needs to worry about suffering is the believer who's not suffering.
Because you see, suffering is a hallmark of a true believer of Jesus Christ. As I said, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, I remember here a while back, I looked at that verse, and I have quoted that verse more times than I can count. And then one day it dawned on me that I needed to stop, step back and say, am I suffering in any kind of way? Is there anyone that hates me because of my faith? Is there anyone that, that, that has deserted me because I follow the Lord Jesus Christ? And there's a lot of different things we could talk about here. But I had to look and say, when it comes right down to it, am I suffering in any kind of way? Not because, now listen, Peter talks about, I mean, yeah, Peter, uh, James talks about this and Peter talks about it. He says, if you suffer for doing wrong, you know, if you go out and you rob a bank and you go to prison, don't say, oh, they're persecuting me for being a Christian who robs banks. Peter says, no, it doesn't work that way. But if you're suffering, if you have those who mistreat you, no matter what you do, those who go behind your back and say things about you, you know are not true. And our first reaction is, I need to defend myself. But God says, hey, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You belong to me. You let me handle this. And I have found this out right here, folks. If you don't know this, let me tell you. When the world comes after me, when so-called friends come after me, hey, when church members come after you, God says, you're mine. I'll handle it. And I have found that when I let him handle it, he does a lot better job than I do. He does a lot better. All right, so are we suffering for Christ? Make sure, though, that your suffering is because of Christ. Whether the spiritual attack you are facing is, is physical or mental or whatever it is, whether the world outside is trying to burn you at the stake, or whether those within your church family are talking bad about you behind your back, whatever it is. Paul and Peter and James say, look, stop and take stock here and make sure they're doing this because you're doing what's right. We have the idea, as I said earlier, that the only people who truly suffer are those that do wrong. But I can promise you that Daniel would disagree with you. That Daniel's three friends would disagree with you. That Paul would disagree with you. And Peter and James and John and Matthew and Mark and Luke, all of them. Jesus would say, I disagree with you. <laughs> I, I read the other day where somebody said that, you know, Christians need to learn to just love like Jesus did. That if we would learn to love like Jesus did, we would stop talking about false teachers. We'll just let them do their thing. We would stop saying that other religions are not true because Jesus loves everybody. And somebody pointed out, do you realize that the love of Jesus got him crucified? Because love 
points out that which is evil, points out that which is, as Paul Washer says, if you love God, you have to hate evil. You have to hate what is not right. Make sure your suffering is because of Christ. So let us encourage one another as we run the race and fight the fight. We need each other. Did you know that? Did you know you need me? And I need you. We need to be praying for one another. We're all facing things. <clears throat> your spiritual battle may be different than mine. Satan knows what it is that he can truly get you with. But I want to tell you something God knows too. God knows what I can stand. He knows what I can endure. Now, please don't get the idea that I'm saying that God will never give you more than you can handle because that is not biblical. As a matter of fact, God will only and always give you more than you can handle. Because you know what that does? That drives me to Him. But we need each other. Paul, at the end of his life, I pray that every one of us could do this. In 1st, 2nd Timothy 4, 7 and 8, Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. I pray that every one of us, when we come to the end of our life, can say that honestly, say, I've fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And I trust in God. And may this be true of all God's people. Let me close with what the writer to the Hebrews says over here. <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. He says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Jesus suffered, it said, outside the gate. They took him outside the city. They took him up on a hill called Golgotha. And there in front of everyone, they stripped him naked after he had been beaten half to death and crucified him. And then mocked him. If you're the son of God, come down and we'll believe you. He saved others. Let him save himself. But you know why he did it? Well, the writer to the Hebrews says it was in order to sanctify his people. In order that I might be holy. In order that I might be conformed to His image. This is why Jesus went outside the gate. And He uh, suffered by the shedding of His blood. I heard someone one time say that Jesus' blood was spilled on Calvary. But that's not true. Because when you spill something, that's an accident. His blood was poured out. It was done on purpose. And then the writer to the Hebrews says, Therefore, because of that, let us go with him outside the gate. You know what's outside the gate? Death. Mocking. All of this. Everything that he endured is ours. 
He said, let's bear the reproach that he endured. And I wonder, I look at myself, I look at the chapel here and I say, are we a reproach to the world outside? And if we're not, we're not doing something right. The world should hate us. The people in this community should hate us. Do you know that? Jesus came preaching repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, here's what he said. Repent of your sins and I'll forgive you. And they said, you know what? We hate you for telling us that. We don't want to hear that. We want you today, in, in, in most churches today, in the, in the lives of many professing Christians today, we say, God, I love you. I know you love me. Just let me have my sin too. And God says, sorry, it doesn't work that way. Until you're ready to die to yourself, die to your sin. Jesus says, you can't be my disciple. So suffering is the pathway to glory. And as we're going to look at in, in, in here in chapter 8, as we go on, Paul's going to talk about that glory that's going to be revealed. About how even creation itself is waiting for that. And you and I, we who are human beings, we are the crowning glory of God's creation. Did you know that? We are so far above any other creature on this earth that it's not even, we can't even see the difference. And God has determined that you and I who are followers of Christ will be what he created us to be. When he created Adam, he gave him dominion over all the earth, over all the animals. And God says, I have created you to be not my creature, but my child. Isn't that wonderful? We thank him. You know, the next time you <clears throat> endure suffering, or maybe you're enduring suffering now, some kind, I challenge you to get on your knees and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what I'm going through because I know that this is leading me to you. I know this is leading me to the day when I will stand in your presence and be conformed to the image of your Son. It's not easy to do when you're hurting, there's pain, there's questions, there's uncertainty. But listen, what Paul's telling us is, he says, Abba, Father, which means I trust you. I don't have to understand, I just have to trust. And I'll promise you, when we learn that, when we learn how to suffer with grace. And let me promise you, there's no suffering you will go through alone. He will be every step of the way. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, there's several things there that's interesting. Now, as I said, he's walking through the valley of shadow of death, not into it. But notice that it's a shadow of death. 
You can't have a shadow without light. And he says, your rod and your staff will comfort me. Well, how's the rod and staff going to comfort him unless the rod and staff is right there with him? And Jesus is there. He is the great shepherd. And we keep our eyes. You know, Paul says, forgetting that which is behind, he said, I press on toward the prize, which is Christ. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are so in awe this morning of the fact that you have chosen us before the foundation of the world in Christ. Father, today we gather together to celebrate Thanksgiving. And Father, we could begin to thank you right now and could never exhaust it. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us from our sin and hell. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Father, may we learn to say thank you for our struggles and our trials and our tribulations and our suffering. Knowing, Father, that eternal glory is ours. We thank you for the promise. The promise, Father, that you will always keep. <clears throat> that you are always with us, never to leave us. And Father, I pray this morning for that one who may be struggling and suffering. Father, may they this morning trust in Christ. May they learn daily to just lay it at your feet. Help us to remember that that which is always over our head is always under his feet. So, Father, may we learn day by day to just trust, to trust in your word and to thank you, Father, for the promised end result of being conformed to the image of our Savior. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and turn to page 63. Take the name of Jesus.